Welcome to Pullback. I am Kyla, and I'm here with my friend Kristen. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Trying to be a good person can be overwhelming in our complex global marketplace. In this podcast, we try to make it a little bit easier by looking at the details behind consumer movements, product labels, and ethical lifestyles. Each episode, we challenge ourselves to try something new in ethical consumption, and then we tell you what we learned, uh, fuck-ups and all. And if ever there was a topic that looked at our complex global marketplace, (laughs) it is the topic we are in the middle of discussing right now, fast fashion. In the last episode, we talked about the labor uh, side of the fast fashion industry. It was so upsetting that out of the 12 or 13 episodes we've recorded so far, that was the first one that made me legitimately cry. Uh, Which I think is saying something because we've talked about fucked up stuff in every episode. That's the point of the podcast. So if you haven't listened to that first episode yet, you know, run out and do it. But (laughs) it it's a fun one. <laughs> Get some vegan chocolate ready. That's how Kristen uh, re- regrouped in the middle because we're recording at the same time. Yeah, we took like a 10 minute break and I was like, <laughs> yeah, she had, chocolate, she had chocolate, some. Chocolate. I feel the same way about vegan chocolate as she does about vegan cheese in that I haven't had any that I like and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I do, I have found vegan cheese I like. I just, not on pizza. Like, if it's sort of like a spread, it's fine. That's a fair caveat. Just to be fair to vegan cheese. (laughs) So in part two of our clothing episode, we're going to be looking at the environment, which is hopefully a little bit less depressing. Kristen's going to rev this one up for me. Let's have it. Sure, yeah. So we'll talk about clothing and the environment in this episode. And then just a reminder that we're going to be doing a third part as well that looks at uh, what it means to have a conscious closet. So that's where you'll have a lot of those practical tips. Uh, But first, so the environmental impact of clothing, it basically comes from three different parts of the production process. So first, you can look at the impact of producing the fabrics from which clothing is made. Then you can look at the impact of moving those fabrics around, turning them into garments and selling them. And then you can look at the impact of clothing disposal. So we're going to talk a little bit about all of those things, but because this is such a complicated topic... I I focused a little bit more on looking at different fabrics because otherwise there are sort of just general points you can make about the environment. And in the last episode, we're going to talk about the end life of clothing. So just just a note that there will be more attention to the fabrics in this episode. I appreciate that because I feel like that's something we have more control over as consumers. You can decide what fabric to buy. And I have been stressing out for the last, I don't know, two, three months. Honestly, maybe even since we started this podcast project, uh, like what, four, five, six months ago? What even is time? But I don't know what the best fabric <laughs> to buy is. And I haven't Googled it because I am a hack and a fraud. So I'm just waiting for you to tell me. <laughs> no, it honestly, it was... It was hard to put together the information on this. And so I was sort of like cobbling stuff together through various internet links. And then there was a chapter in this book that I read that pulled it all together really nicely. So a lot of the information is from the book, The Conscious Closet, which we'll cover also in the last part. But some of it's from the internet as well, just to fill out gaps. So the two most commonly used fabrics in clothing today are are cotton and polyester. um, And they make up Basically, three quarters of the global fiber market. So Whoa, that's a lot. Yeah. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. So cotton and polyester, like if you look at your clothes, 
probably most of your items have some level of cotton or polyester in them. So it, it would be impossible for us to cover all of the fabrics that are enclosed this episode because there are just so many. But I want to give a brief overview of like what to think about for each of the main ones. And so, of course, we're going to talk about both of those big ones, polyester and cotton. We'll also talk about some of the other common synthetics that you might find, like spandex and nylon. And then viscose or rayon is also one that's made from tree fibers, basically. And uh, wool and linen and hemp. So we'll cover all of those, talk about sort of what are the environmental considerations, and also what some of the things that you can look for when you're trying to buy these fabrics are. Because um, So I mentioned that book that was really helpful, The Conscious Closet. And the author of that book, she basically says when you're thinking about picking the, the most sustainable clothing, it's not necessarily about which fabric, it's about how to make which fa whichever fabrics you pick the most sustainable versions of themselves, because there are sort of benefits and drawbacks to all of them. The, uh, <laughs> the exception to that is like linen and hemp. There's a reason hippies have worn those for years. They're pretty sustainable. So <laughs> that one, if you're if you just want to buy the most sustainable fabrics, yeah, you could adorn yourself in only hemp. That's probably the <laughs> <best> choice. <laughs> but probably not very many of us are gonna want to do that. So we'll give you some other suggestions too. So polyester, it's like polyester is basically synonymous with fast fashion. It's everywhere. Polyester is present in 60% of clothing today, um, and there has been a 157% increase in the use of polyester between 2000 and 2016. So, whoa! Yeah, it's pretty. You massive. can really tell that fast fashion is a product of the last 25 years. <laughs> like, holy yeah. shit! <laughs> it's kind of like this is a bit of a nerdy aside, but like the shift from like homestead clothing making to like the industrial clothing making, it was like wool to cotton. And now the new era of fast fashion is polyester. So you can really see that through like what fabrics are common. So like the rest of the synthetic fabrics industry, polyester is, it's high tech and it's highly concentrated. So more than 75% of the world's polyester fabric is made in China. So just one country makes a lot of the world's polyester. Another thing that probably some of our listeners know already, but it's important to say, polyester is plastic. So it's made from fossil fuels, it's not renewable, and it contributes to climate change. So overall, polyester is not a good environmental choice. Um, and also the demand for polyester and other plastics drives up investment in petrochemical refining. So in a certain sense, the more polyester clothes were we're wearing and buying, the more economical it is for fossil fuel producers to keep producing fossil fuels. So that's a problem. Polyester also has a huge waste problem. So because it is plastic, it doesn't readily biodegrade. And so we really don't have any plan for what to do with this massive volume of polyester that we're producing. And so right now, only a very small amount of it gets uh, is like recycled polyester. Um, and most of the time when you're using polyester that's from recycled plastic, it's actually not from polyester that's been recycled. It's from like water bottles that have been recycled. So the polyester that we're producing in clothes that we throw away very quickly, um, it's basically just going to landfill most of the time. 
Um, and also, uh, shout out to our laundry episode where we talked about <laughs> the plastic microfibers that sheds. We'll have to actually release that episode soon. <laughs> but every time you wash your clothes, microplastics are leaching into the environment is the sum of what that whole episode really came down to. Yeah. So um, in in the, the book, The Conscious Closet, Elizabeth Klein recommends basically finding non-toxic polyester. Um, so there, there are hazardous substances certifications that I'll talk about sort of at the end. And uh, you, looking for one of those is a good way to know that hazardous toxic toxins haven't been used in making the polyester. There's a really big problem across the clothing industry, but especially for synthetics. Um, and another good strategy if you are buying polyester is to look for recycled polyester. So Timberland and Patagonia are two brands that do produce items with recycled polyester. So you can look for them. I generally just love Patagonia. <laughs> I know, it's your favorite. Did we talk about that laundry episode too? <laughs> probably. We've probably talked about this several times. Uh, this is an on-the-sly Patagonia like branded podcast. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, oh man. If they want to pay us though, we could easily become one. I have never I think we talked about this, but I've never used I've never bought anything from Patagonia, so I feel left out of this. Uh so if they want to send me a sweater or something, <laughs> I am I can be bought very easily. <laughs> this podcast is not above bribery. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about other synthetics. Um can you think of any synthetic fabrics other than polyester? Uh oh, um metalized fiber. I see that a lot. I don't know. Oh gosh, I don't talk about that. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but yeah, probably. <laughs> Other synthetics. Um you said viscose and rayon aren't synthetic? I didn't I don't think I knew that. Uh, oh, I know acrylic. Acrylic, yes. Um so some other ones that you might see are spandex, nylon, polyurethane and PVC. Which I can't remember what that stands for. That's okay. Probably unpronounceable. <laughs> yeah, it's PVC. Don't buy it. Um, <laughs> uh, so there are a variety of synthetic fibers in clothing, and they're all slightly different, and it would be way too much detail to cover each of them. Uh, but nylon is sort of the one that you'll see most commonly. It's in about 5% of clothing, and uh, that makes it the second most common synthetic fabric but obviously like polyester is way more common so there's a big gap after that the next most common is acrylic so it's present in about two percent of clothing and you'll often see acrylic as like a cheap alternative to wool so if you're looking at sweaters in fast fashion they're always acrylic <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then uh spandex basically it's it makes stuff stretchy so you'll often see it like in a blend in like underwear jeans or pajamas other things yeah i'm pretty sure the skinny jeans i'm wearing right now have spandex in them. i mean i'm wearing pajamas right now and i'm sure that it's like 60 percent spandex they're so <laughs> stretchy that's why i love pajamas <laughs> pajamas are great this is a pro pajama podcast <laughs> yeah wait till we get to the end of this episode and we talk about our challenge <laughs> no kidding yeah spoiler <laughs> so um most synthetics have a problem with like carcinogenic materials and they also seem to take a lot of energy to make. That seems to be common to most synthetic materials. Wait, so do my clothes give me cancer? Is that what you're saying? Or just the people who work in the factories are the ones? Yeah, maybe. Legitimately, Yikes. they might. Yeah. So this is why the like uh, safe chemicals or like hazardous toxins certifications can be really important. Because um, 
Sometimes synthetics will be made with hazardous materials that, or with they'll be made with chemicals that have been either found to be probable carcinogens or um, where there have been links established, but science is just kind of like slow in catching up um, because the regulation was kind of really fucked up. I went through a whole rabbit hole in this. But um, if you use those sort of safe chemical certifications, you can, you can to some degree limit the extent to which that's something that affects you. That's wild. I had no idea. Yeah, me neither. Um, and I have a lot of polyester in my wardrobe, so... Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, one strategy to deal with the carcinogenic materials is to look for safe chemistry labels and um, to also look for... Um, another way is to look for recycled synthetics. That's another way to be more environmentally friendly. Another recommendation is to just avoid all... Oh, here we go. I I did write what PVC stands for. (laughs) (laughs) I love a throwback. Let's have it. (laughs) Um, So it's a polyvinyl chloride or PVC. So the recommendation from the conscious closet is just don't buy anything with PVC in it. I think PVC is often used in like fake leather products. Exactly. Yeah. And vinyl. So it uses a chemical that's linked to endocrine disruption. So it'll like fuck with your hormones and stuff. Whoa, really? Yeah. So the recommendation from Elizabeth Klein is just don't buy anything with PVC in it. And for get rid of your pleather pants. Yeah. (laughs) There are multiple reasons to do that, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, that is some shade. Okay, carry on. <laughs> All right. So cotton. Cotton's the other big fabric that we use a lot of. Uh, it makes up about a quarter of global fiber production. So the majority of it is grown in China, India, and the United States. Those are the biggest cotton producers. Although throwback to the last episode, Uzbekistan is definitely the most fucked up producer. It's not mm. one of the biggest ones. That we know of. <laughs> That's true. That we know of. And cotton can be really tricky to grow, so usually it's farmed with a lot of pesticides and fertilizer, so that can be a problem. Cotton actually uses 6% of all pesticides that are used, so it's it uses more pesticides than any other major crop. Whoa! And, uh, yeah, yeah. And 20% of insecticides are devoted to producing conventional cotton, even though it's grown on only 2.5% of the world's arable land. Why? Why? I think it's because it's really hard to grow. That seems to be what I found. And that's a problem because a lot of the pesticides that are used for cotton have been classified by the WHO as hazardous. So again, you're potentially poisoning workers, you're potentially poisoning the land, like the land around where cotton is grown, and also the waterways and communities around there. So it's a it's a big problem. Another problem environmentally with cotton is that ninety nine percent of all cotton is genetically modified. Now I want to be clear and say that not all genetically modified things are evil, but there are some particular problems with how cotton is genetically modified. So the first one is the Genetic engineering has basically turned cotton from a perennial crop to being an annual crop, which basically means that it like it will produce the fluff like every year rather than only on the second year. And that has really increased the yields for farmers. So that might be good, but there's also some evidence that it fucks with soil and um, 
over time is going to make it sort of less sustainable to grow. Well, and as climate change affects farmland, we're going to have less arable land anyways, because uh-huh. growing seasons are going to change. All right. What a fun topic. Tell me more about how cotton destroys the planet, please. And thank you. Yeah. So we talked about how one genetic modification fucks with the soil by turning cotton from a perennial into an annual. Uh, but there's actually like another genetic modification that makes it even worse. Um, and well, it doesn't make it worse, but because, because pesticides are so overused in cotton or they're used so much, um, basically Monsanto introduced Roundup Ready cotton. It basically allows you the cotton plant to endure really heavy spraying of Roundup. And Roundup basically kills everything except for the cotton. It is not good for the planet. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. So genetic modification, like most of the time when you're getting cotton, unless it's organic, it's going to be genetically modified. And even though that in general, like in principle, it's not bad to have something genetically engineered in the ways that they're engineered with cotton production. Like you now have a system where people have to pay, well, it's now Bayer that's bought out Monsanto, but like you would have had to pay Monsanto for both the pesticides that they're selling and also the cotton that can survive the pesticides that they're selling. It's fucked. That is bonkers. (laughs) What even is real life? I can't. (laughs) Yeah. And so another problem with cotton is that, and people have probably heard this before, but it's a really like thirsty plant. It uses a lot of water. So growing one kilo of conventional cotton requires 10,000 liters of water and uh, processing cotton requires even more. So it's about 5,000 gallons for a t-shirt and a pair of jeans. Whoa! Yeah, it's a lot. The good news is that you can actually produce organic cotton that's way less water-intensive, and I don't know why, but it can be up to 91% less irrigated water than conventional cotton. What? So, <laughs> that doesn't that make any sense. That just seems like a clear win. No yeah. pesticides, like much lower water usage. I don't know. It must be more expensive, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and... The other thing with like um, cotton using so much water is that like most of the cotton that's grown, so about 60%, is grown in water-scarce regions. So (laughs) we're going to travel quickly back to Central Asia, if you'll remember the Uzbekistan situation. There's another problem, which is the Aral Sea in Central Asia used to be the world's fourth largest lake, but today it's basically completely dried up. And... That's basically because of cotton. So it started with the Soviets. In the 1950s, the Soviets started to use the rivers that feed into the Aral Sea to irrigate its surrounding agricultural area. Um, And that is something that still happens today. And uh, it's primarily for cotton is, is what it's irrigating. And that's a really big problem because as the Aral Sea has dried up, because the Aral Sea actually is salt water, even though the rivers that feed into it or freshwater. So as it's drying up, it's releasing salts and carcinogens into the air, which is causing like throat cancer and respiratory diseases. So like cotton production in this area is really fucking up people and their livelihoods. Um, it's a real ecological problem. Like even even when they're not employed in the like bondage <laughs> yeah. situation that we discussed in the first episode where state mandated children's labor is happening even if you're not involved in that you still can't get away from the fact that 
the cotton industry is causing throat cancer. That's not cool. No. And so, like, this is the most stark situation of that. But in general, cotton is grown in places where there's water scarcity, and that can cause problems for the populations around it too, right? Well, is it time for a joke? Because I feel sad. <laughs> sure, yeah. So you guys uh, who listened to the first episode will know that I prepped some terrible jokes and pickup lines to lift the episode when it gets a little bit heavy. Uh, so now I'm going to drop the first one of this episode. We're going to start with a pickup line. Lay it on me. All right, Kristen. Baby, if you were words on a page, you'd be fine print. <laughs> I picked up a lot of book <laughs> pickup lines because I, I think I feel like that's what would work on me. <laughs> um, and I will tell you a joke. All right. What do you call a dog that can do magic? I don't know. <laughs> a labracadabra door. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> okay, I'm ready for more sad stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, we'll just wrap up cotton next. Um, so we talked about some of the problems with cotton. So pesticides, uh, hazardous chemicals, uh, genetic modifications that make them reliant on pesticides, and also the fact that it uses a lot of water. So what can you do about it? One thing that you can do is go for organic cotton. And so there are a couple of different labels that we'll talk about at the end that you can look for for that. And you can also look for fair trade cotton, which uh, won't use hazardous pesticides. It will use pesticides, but not the ones that will poison workers. So small victories. And also pays farmers a fair wage. So look for those two labels. You can also find recycled cotton from brands that are members of the Better Cotton Initiative. Um, sorry, recycled cotton and cotton that are from brands that are members of the Better Cotton Initiative. Um, well, we're going to have to do an episode on Better Cotton Initiative, though, because it's received some criticism. I'm not sure how good that label is, but better than nothing, I guess. <laughs> That's the refrain of our Tell show. Me pick up line. <laughs> that's like our whole show. Better than nothing, I guess. Okay, I've got one more pickup line for you that's really good. Okay. Is this the Hogwarts Express? Because it feels like you and I are headed somewhere magical. Nice. If you were like what would your um Hogwarts house be? Oh, I'm a Ravenclaw. Me too. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Although I feel like if I was sorted into Hufflepuff, I wouldn't be that sad about it. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people are sad when they get sorted into Hufflepuff. Um, but one of my close friends uh, is like definitely a Slytherin. She just definitely is. And she has <laughs> always wanted to be a Hufflepuff. <laughs> <laughs> the only person I know that like actively goes for it. Anyway. Okay, cool. Well, I feel better. <laughs> pop culture it's great <laughs> a little like decade old pop culture uh, <laughs> harry potter is still very popular we're i feel like we're on trend here <laughs> that's true that's true so the next set of fabrics you may have heard labeled as viscose or rayon uh, i'm gonna call it cellulosic fabric which is less sexy for sure uh, but it is slightly more accurate so you can go with that uh, so Cellulosic fabric can show up in labels in a variety of ways. So it can show up as viscose, it can show up as rayon. You might also see it as bamboo, modal, lyocell, eucalyptus, or tencel. Those are all cellulosic fabrics. 
Some of these are identical, some of them are slightly different, but basically all of these fabrics are made by chemically dissolving wood from eucalyptus, beech, or bamboo trees. And then basically the chemical pulp is then reformed into a fiber. So that's why when you ask, like, is rayon a synthetic? And I was kind of just like, ah, it's kind of, I don't know. Like, I feel like I should know. Like, I've worked in the fashion industry, and also I used to work uh, for, like, a company that sold bedding. So I had to know what the difference was between, like, viscose bamboo or, like, rayon or cotton. But I feel like I still, like, I I I just still don't understand it. And I remember once looking into whether bamboo fabric, because I've always really liked the idea of bamboo fabric. And I remember once a few years ago, I was like, oh, I wonder if it actually is better. And I looked into it and I was upset with whatever I read. That's all I remember. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of confusing whether it counts as a synthetic or not, because it's not really a natural fiber, but it's also made from wood pulp. So, like, I don't know. You decide. <laughs> decide what you think counts. So most of the cellulosic fabrics that are on the market, about 70%, are viscose slash rayon, which are the same thing. They're just sometimes different. I think generally you'll see viscose. You see viscose. Viscose and rayon, one of them is commonly in European labels, and the other is commonly in North American labels, oh, and I can't remember which. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, But otherwise, they're the same. So... Cellulosic fabric, um, it's essentially like a cheaper cousin to silk or cotton. That's typically what you'll see it being used as. Um, and it's also often marketed as ecologically conscious or sustainable, even though in some cases it is really, really not. So especially with cellulosic fibers, you have to be careful about greenwash. There are actually some forms of cellulosic fibers that can be a lot more sustainable. So lyocell is one. But... Oftentimes, if it's just labeled as like eucalyptus or bamboo, that does not necessarily mean it's sustainable. So cellulosic fibers, they take a lot of energy to produce, and the materials have a higher greenhouse gas impact than manufacturing polyester or cotton for like the more standard ones. Um, and they also produce a lot of waste. So basically 70% of the tree that's used, it like actually just gets totally wasted in the manufacturing process. So you're only using about 30% of the trees that you're cutting down. What? I hate that. I know. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it gets worse. Oh no. Oh, no. Yeah. So cellulosic fabric fabric is also it's driving deforestation, and that includes for ancient and endangered forests. Um, so they're often being used in the manufacture of these products. So that includes the Amazon and Indonesian rainforests, and it also includes Canada's boreal forests and the Great Bear Rainforest, which, fuck that noise, those are beautiful forests. <laughs> who, who, who's making clothes out of the boreal forest? Why? Yeah, like a lot of producers. Um, but the good news is there's an NGO called Canopy that's on it, um, and they're basically working with clothing, clothing companies. They've gotten Levi Strauss, Marks and Spencer, H&M, and a bunch of other brands to commit to not sourcing from ancient forests. So, Ugh, But, like, at the rate that we're producing clothes, how can you not? Like, at what point do we just run out <laughs> of other trees and we have to go to the older stuff? Yeah, well, I think, like, part of the problem is just going to the ancient forests when there are other options available. But, yeah, but, yeah, it does still drive deforestation anyway. So if you are 
concerned about deforestation and you still want to buy cellulosic fabrics, one thing to look for is either look for brands that are working with canopy that shows that they're working at least not to use ancient forests. Or you can actually get brands that are members of the Forest Stewardship Council, which is um, a sustainable forestry label. And I'm sure we'll do an episode on them in some point in the future, but that's that's something you can concretely do. Another thing that you might want to do if you're worried about the environment, but you also want cellulosic fabrics, is you can look out for Lyocell, which is also called Tensile, um, and it's the most sustainable version of cellulosic fabric. And again, as with a lot of the other fabrics, you can look for safe chemical certifications and you can uh, buy brands that are working with NGOs. It's usually helpful. I will say that I recently had to buy new underwear <laughs> because occasionally <laughs> I have to do that. <laughs> and my favorite underwear is from H&M. Uh, it just fits the best. You know how you just, you find a pair, you just find underwear and you're like, this is the best fit. It's yeah. the most comfortable. It's like made of cotton, which is apparently deeply problematic. <laughs> but what I did, because I knew we were about to do this episode, is I specifically bought from their like sustainable organic cotton line for underwear. And maybe it's greenwash, but I will say like, I've always been kind of impressed with H&M's website whenever you go it's always like they yeah, know that this is what people <laughs> yeah they know what people yeah. care about because like as soon as you go to their website it's like oh this organic cotton was sourced from these countries and it has these fair trade labels yeah. or whatever and i always appreciate that as a consumer but also i recognize that h&m is one of the worst fast fashion brands and they're leading into the problems that they're trying to solve yeah but you're right they are like they are at least doing some things, so uh, is that better than nothing, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> so I did buy some underwear from a big corporation that is perhaps evil, um, but I needed underwear, and I tried to buy, like, the organic cotton stuff, so, like, is that better? I don't know. I guess the better thing for me to do would have been to sew my own underwear, but we are not at that level yet with my sewing capabilities. Yeah, and I think, that, like, um, with stuff like that, you... Like, you're just going to need to get underwear and you're just going to have to go through it fairly regularly. So, yeah, trying to find a big brand that's doing better than other big brands isn't a bad approach, you know. Anyway, uh, let's talk about... So, I've got wool, leather, and fur all lumped in together. And basically what I want to say about this is that we're not going to talk about them too much. Because um, we're going to do an entire leather episode for sure. We'll probably also do a down episode. And we just did an entire month on, like, animal welfare with veganism and vegetarianism. So we'll give you guys a break from the animal welfare stuff. Uh, <laughs> but it's a thing. Um, and with leather, also important to know that there's a big carbon, water, and land use footprint. So just worth mentioning, but we'll do a whole episode on leather later. I I will talk about wool a little bit more because it's a little bit tricky, actually. So wool can be super sustainable or it can be really bad for the environment. And a lot depends on where it's produced and how the animals are raised. So most wool that's on the market, about 95% is sheep's wool. But there's also other animals that can be used for wool. And another sort of fairly common one is cashmere, which uses goats. Not necessarily all sheep. Depending on uh, how sustainable the wool farm is, it can cause erosion when soil erosion when animals are overgrazing. So it really depends. Um, as well, another concern with 
wool is that to clean raw wool, um, it creates a huge quantity of wastewater. So processing the wool has got a big water footprint. It's thirsty. It's thirsty, yeah. Uh, and then there's also, because it's animal farming based, it produces a lot of methane because... <laughs> Sheep be farts farting. Farts and birds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, that will never not make me laugh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's all like the downsides of wool. But on the other hand, wool actually lasts a lot longer than most other fabrics. So it's like not necessarily bad environmentally to use wool. Um, uh, one recommendation is to sort of focus on buying wool products that are timeless and making sure that you mend them so that they last as long as possible because there is a big upfront environmental cost, but they can, wool fabrics can last a lot longer than other garments can. And as with the other fabrics, you can also improve your footprint by buying organic and also buying safe chemicals certified wool. Those are options as well. All right, the last category of fabrics are bast fibers, also known as the best fibers. So linen, hemp, jute. <laughs> Rami and flax. I'd never heard of Rami. I don't know what that is. Um, and I didn't find <laughs> out. So, <laughs> But we should all be wearing it. <laughs> yeah, apparently we should all be wearing it. Yeah. So linen is actually the oldest known fabric, which I didn't know. Um, oh. And it's, yeah, it's a natural fiber. It's cultivated from the flax plant. And I think, I don't know exactly what makes bast fibers bast fibers, but they all must have like some similar seed component. Hemp fiber, obviously made from hemp plants, so uh, <laughs> you're likely to see more hemp products as, like, marijuana legalization goes forward, <laughs> which is kind of, like, an interesting byproduct of that. <laughs> Bast fibers are really good for the environment. They use less energy and fewer chemical imp inputs, so generally they can just be cultivated a lot more sustainably. So this is the one fabric that... Elizabeth Klein, author of The Conscious Closet, says you should just be looking for these fabrics full stop. But then she also says, of course, you can also buy organic ones or recycled ones. That's good, too. Yeah. And I think that those fabrics are naturally more expensive. They have like a like a price premium because they know that people care. I don't know. Yeah. Although I think like, um, yeah, I think linen is definitely seems to be more expensive. But like, I don't know. I feel like you can get hemp pretty cheap. I guess I'll find out. I have this sewing yeah. machine. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't I haven't worn hemp fabric before, so I, I don't really know. But it's got like a strong association with hippies, yeah. So yeah, um just I'll just mention some some labels that you can look for because we talked about, you know, you should look for organic, you should look for safe chemical certified. What are some of those labels that you might see? So some safe chemical certifications that you might see out there, one is called Cradle to Cradle or C2C. Another is called Ocotex, um, that's spelled O-E-K-O, -E and then Tex, like Tex-Mex. And then the last one for safe chemicals is Blue Sign Approved. So if any of those labels are on a product that could help you to know that less hazardous products are being used. Some organic certifications you might look for. One is the Global Organic Textile Standard, another is the Organic Content Standard, and the third one is Cradle to Cradle, or C2C. So you can look for any of those. Fair Trade we talked about a little bit in the sugar episode, but there are a few different Fair Trade labels out there. Uh, one of them that you might see is Fair Trade USA, but anything that 
says Fairtrade certified is likely to have some labor standards and probably also hazardous toxins standards, but you can look into specific ones. So yeah, you can look at all of those options and choose your fabrics accordingly. Okay, um, some a sort of brief discussion on garment production and distribution and the environmental impacts there. So the first thing to note is that water use is sort of a big thing in garment production. A lot of that comes from the fabrics, but there's also a fair amount used in producing a garment as well. So I found a stat that says if fashion production maintains its current pace, the demand for water will surpass the world's supply by 40% by 2030. So Fast fashion is really messing with our water supply. Whoa, that's bonkers. That 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 is so ridiculous that I have trouble wrapping my head around that. That's in <laughs> ten years. Yes, and uh, I mean that's really just a sign of like how much fashion we're producing every year and how fast it's growing. You know. So the next one is emissions. So apparel and footwear production is about 8% of greenhouse gas emissions worldwide. And because clothing production is growing quickly, emissions from textile manufacturing is projected to grow by 60% by 2030. Whoa! Yeah, which, I mean, if you've put that in conjunction with the water use stat, it kind of makes sense, but it is pretty shocking. This is completely unsustainable. I yes. <laughs> I knew it was yes, bad, it but this is news to me. <laughs> I didn't know it yeah. was this bad. Yes. So the other big environmental impact of fast fashion is pollution and hazardous chemicals. And I want to spend a little more time on that because there are a few things to unpack. The first one that I won't go into that much is the plastic microfibers issue. So, right, when you have synthetic fabrics, they break down and shed plastic microfibers, gets into our water supply, and basically we're just eating plastic all the time. And a lot of that's from the clothing industry, especially if you're throwing (laughs) stuff out after seven wears. I mean, even if you take it to the thrift shop, I don't, I think a lot of it still gets thrown in the, in the trash. So yeah. And that doesn't account for the stuff that- Most of it's when it goes through the laundry. Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't account for the stuff that just happens when you're washing your stuff normally. So yeah, toxic chemicals are also a big problem in the clothing industry. So there are 46 million tons of chemicals used to process textiles annually. uh, And 10% of the chemicals that are used pose a risk to human health. And some are even linked to cancer. So that's a really high percentage. Uh (laughs) It's not great. So that's a problem for worker health and the environment. Um, And it also is a problem for us because some of the chemicals that are used in processing clothing and garment production will stay on the clothes. So you should always wash your clothes before you wear them. And then those chemicals wind up in our water supply, right? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, better that than you getting cancer. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, so there. part of the problem is also like that these chemicals get dumped and they pollute the areas around where factories are. So in 2011, Greenpeace released a report that showed that suppliers have made their major clothing brands are basically polluting um, both the Yangtze and the Pearl River deltas in China. Um, and they're polluting them with toxic hormone disrupting chemicals. So they're, they're basically looking at two different facilities. They didn't look at all the facilities. They just sampled from two thinking like this is a reasonable sample. Like this, these are indicative of what textile factories look like generally in this area. 
Um, and in both of them, they found that the wastewater discharges um, had two hazardous chemicals. Um, so there is alkylphenols and perfluorinated chemicals, or PFCs. They were both present in the wastewater. And those two facilities were linked to Abercrombie and Fitch, Adidas, Bauer Hockey, Calvin Klein, Converse, H&M, Lacoste, Nike, and Puma. So those are big brands. And that's just two factories, and there's hundreds of factories in China. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, we don't even know what's going on most places, but there are probably lots of toxic chemicals. Um, Greenpeace then followed this up with another one on the presence of non-nonophenol ethoxylates or NPEs in clothing. <laughs> Good work. Uh, I appreciate the effort on that one. <laughs> uh, basically what they did um, was they went to 15 leading clothing brands and they just like bought their clothing. So they bought a couple items of clothing um, and then they tested them for NPEs and they found that two thirds tested positive for the presence of NPEs. That's not good. And basically what happens with MPEs is they wash off the clothing and they break down into nonylphenols, which then accumulate in the food chain. And as they accumulate, they become toxic. So it's not good. Um, and even though, so NPEs are banned in some places, uh, but we're still getting them because but basically like these clothes are produced in countries that don't have regulations for NPEs. They then sell the clothing here and the NPEs get into our water system and we wash them. So Thanks, I hate those it. Are the kind, <laughs> yeah, those are the kinds of problems, right? There's like tons of... I'm sure there are many other issues I could have gone into. Just, you know, this, I told you, this clothing was like a really overwhelming topic. There's a lot. Because it's... Yeah, it's like omni-shambles bad. Um, so some tools that you can look to if you want to seek out uh, conscious brands. The first one is an app called Good On You, and it basically rates the ethics and sustainability of fashion brands. So you can look for that. There's a website directory called Done Good that you can look for that does a similar thing. Uh, another one called Rank a Brand that's also similar. And then there's also the Fashion Revolution Transparency Index and the Ethical Fashion Report. Uh, I would recommend looking at a bunch of those and seeing if the brand shows up on many of them because they all have like slightly different metrics. So if your brand is doing pretty well on all of them, it's a pretty, it's pretty likely that it's, it's holistically a good company or a better company than most. All right. Joke me. <laughs> okay. How many tickles does it take to make an octopus laugh? I feel like eight can't be the punchline, but that's my instinct. It's tentacles. <laughs> oh, tentacles. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> <laughs> tentacles. <laughs> that's the best one for sure. <laughs> okay, so the last issue we'll talk about before we get to our challenge is uh, end of life issues. So there's a really big problem that we're throwing out so many clothes. So I found a really fucking shocking uh, stat. So here it goes. Every second, so every, like, every second, like, a second. <laughs> uh, the equi- <laughs> I just want to emphasize that. <laughs> one uh, one thousand, equivalent- two one thousand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So every second, the equivalent of one garbage truck of textiles enters the landfill or is burned, which amounts to 500 billion U.S. dollars lost in value due to clothing waste. I, I don't even know how to react to that. That's... Yeah. A garbage truck every second. Holy shit. Uh, 
That's too much. <laughs> I feel like that's the yeah. only reaction I can give <laughs> on that stat. That is True. that is too much. Yes, that is too much. Ah. <laughs> so in the United States, 23.8 billion pounds of clothes are thrown in the garbage annually, which is about 73 pounds per person. There's no way I'm throwing away that much. So it must it, a lot of it must be an offshoot of like the actual industry throwing away it's just like stuff that gets made and then is never sold. That's got to be. Yeah, you know, I don't know if the stat includes that, because that is a separate source of waste that, like, fast fashion brands will throw away. Uh, so it doesn't include that? that don't sell. But I'm not sure if that even includes. It might. It might. Or it could just be people throwing out clothes. It's kind of ambiguous. 73 wording, pounds sure. per year per person? That's so much. That's, that's like, yeah. uh, not far from like i don't weigh much more than that do you know what i mean like it's like almost my body weight in clothing that i'm throwing away every year statistically i am not doing that i don't think although maybe i should start weighing my clothes before i get rid of them yeah i think you're right that maybe it includes industrial like when the brands throw them out too because that does seem even like, even taking into account that we underestimate the amount of clothing we throw out every year and that we have, that still seems yeah. like a lot. Oh. Anyways, it's a lot. It doesn't matter where it's coming from. Yeah. It's too much. Yeah, and based on those stats, it shouldn't surprise you that clothing is the fastest growing category of waste in landfills. And because it's all made of polyester, it just breaks down into microplastics and stays in the environment forever, so... <laughs> well, here's here's the, yeah, landfill thing. So, in addition to the problem... Of us just throwing out a garbage truck worth of clothes every second. That is itself a problem. Um, but the landfilling of clothes is an environmental problem, both for natural and synthetic fibers. So natural fibers do decompose slowly, but the problem is that when they're trapped in landfill, that can actually release methane, which is super bad for climate change. Yeah, it's not great. So <laughs> No. So putting your cotton in the garbage... Really, really bad idea. Do not do that um, because you're just going to produce methane. Cotton can be composted, can it? Like you could take it if it's 100% cotton. Can you not throw it in the compost? Uh, it probably depends on the composter, but I would say it's better to use one of the other strategies that we'll talk about in the third part. Okay, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Something to look forward to. And then uh, synthetic clothing doesn't biodegrade. It takes hundreds of years to actually break down. But as it slowly does, the hazardous chemicals they're made out of can be released into the air and the ground. So uh, it's also shitty. So yeah. The good news is that we can really make an impact on this. So for every 2 million tons of textiles we keep out of landfills, we can reduce carbon emissions, the equivalent of taking a million cars off the road. Oh, okay. That's like that's a statistic I like the sound of. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Um, do you want to talk about our challenge a little bit? Yeah, let's. Yeah. So, in part three, we're going to be talking a lot about what it is to build a conscious closet. And the first step in the book by Elizabeth Klein is basically take an inventory of what is in your closet um, and just to look at what it is, what it's made of, and which ones you actually wear and which ones you don't. So Kyla and I did that. Um, 
I made a crazy Excel spreadsheet for it. I don't know if you used it or not. I did use your Excel spreadsheet, but you had a separate column for every type of fiber that your clothes were made out of. And I deleted those and I just wrote down uh, under materials what the makeup was. I'm like, oh, 97% cotton, 3% elastane or whatever. Yeah, I just wanted like a visual way to see like, am I using a lot of things with cotton or like viscose or what? Okay, so what did you find for yours? I found that, so I, first of all, I Googled what the average amount of clothing is that people own. And there isn't really an answer uh, from what I could tell. When you Google it, the top result is like 125 pieces or something. But then when you look into it deeper, you know, some people are going to have way more than that. Um, and not very many people are going to have less. So I would say that's pretty close to like the bottom of, of the range. I would like to preface this by saying that I've spent the last four and a half years living a very transient lifestyle. For a lot of that time, I was living out of a backpack. So I didn't <laughs> own very many clothes. And I can feel pretty smug about my number of what I own now. But I've also only been living in one place for a couple of months. And we'll see how I go moving forward. But I only have 76 items of clothing. And a lot of those were thrifted or rescued from uh, my fashion company that I used to work for. So rescue is probably the wrong word, but I don't know what they do with the clothes, but they, we would get a bunch of samples sent to the head office. And then every once in a while, they do like a sample sale and you can get like these amazing clothes that are like really great brand names, really well-made, good material. You could get them for like a few pounds. Yeah. So a lot of my clothes were just like, oh, like all of these clothes are amazing and they're practically free. So I bought a bunch of stuff uh, from that. And a lot of my stuff is thrifted as well. So I'm pretty happy with how that's gone. A lot of my stuff is new because I've just moved somewhere where I had to like get a new wardrobe for like a couple of jobs. But out of 76 items, 11 of them were pajamas, which I feel like <laughs> says something about me <laughs> as a human being. <laughs> it says you like to be comfy. That's more than like 10% of my wardrobe is just like pajamas. What about you? What did you find? My equivalent to that is, yeah, um, so I have 122 total items in my closet, which is like, I think pretty normal in terms of numbers, but we'll, we'll talk about in the next part, um, like what your magic wardrobe number is, like everyone's going to have a slightly different, a slightly different ideal number of clothes in their closet, depending on what kind of person they are and what their life is like. So I think 122 is maybe a little high for what I ideally should be at. Um, <laughs> um, so <laughs> a full one quarter of my wardrobe, though, is athletic wear. <laughs> Lounging gear. I do not gear. need to buy another pair of <laughs> leggings for a really long time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I also, I also looked at how much of my wardrobe was new. So about a third of my wardrobe was purchased in 2019 or 2020. Um, or was obtained in 2019 or 2020. Some of it was thrift shops, some of it was gifts or hand-me-downs or whatever. One of them I won. So yeah, t-shirt. Nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably really bad for the environment. But yeah, that was a higher proportion than I was expecting. But it's not really all that surprising given what the consumer trends are. Um, and yeah, I did like a really rough calculation and I found I've worn each item an average of 20.1 times. Nice. <laughs> a really rough average. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, I, I looked at how many times I'd worn stuff and I would say most of my wardrobe I've worn at least 10 times. 
and almost all of it is new. Even the stuff that I got from work basically went straight into a suitcase because then I went on a trip around the world for like nine months. So I didn't get a chance to wear a lot of it. So I took it out of my suitcase when I got home. And so a lot of my stuff, because just because of the way I was living, I've worn a hundred plus times. <laughs> yeah. And when I said my like calculation was really rough, basically what I did, because I mean, you don't know exactly how many times you've worn an item. Um, so I put it into, I either said I'd worn it less than five times, five to 10 times, 10 to 25 times, or 25 plus times. And there are some things in that 25 plus category that are like, barely above 25, but there are others that like are well into the 200s. <laughs> yeah, 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 which is fair. So uh, part of this project is to decide what you're going to, if you're going to get rid of anything to kind of like have a look and see like, do I need all of this stuff? Did you decide you're gonna keep anything? So yeah, I decided, I mean, most of the stuff in my wardrobe I want to keep, but there were three things that I'm looking at getting rid of. And in part three, I'm going to talk about what I'm planning to do with them. Oh, good. I'll tell you what I'm going to do with my five items then. <laughs> okay, cool. So that is how fast fashion affects the environment a little bit, even though I'm sure we could probably talk for hours about how it affects the environment on even more levels. But if you guys are interested in finding out how to be better, we're going to talk about in the next episode uh, what we can do to have a more ethical closet, which I am super looking forward to. I don't know about you. Yeah, yeah, actually, I'm really excited to tell you all the things I've learned, because uh, <laughs> this is maybe the best book I've, well, I won't say ever read, but I don't like fashion, and this book was incredible, so. Which book was that? The, the uh, Conscious Closet, yeah. All right, cool, awesome. So if you guys check out our next episode, it's going to be even more uplifting than the last two, which I feel like is a low bar. Uh, if you want to tweet us we're at pullback podcast if you want to email us we're pullbackpod at gmail.com you can get Kristen directly at Kristen Pugh you can get me directly at Kyla Hewson and we thank you for listening uh, we're going to catch you in the next episode where we're going to give you lots of practical advice oh this one's really on theme for us <laughs> why do bees have sticky hair I don't know why do bees have sticky hair? Because they use a honeycomb. <laughs> I like that uh, one. Really <laughs> yeah, I like that one too. <laughs>